This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. So we talked a bit about this week's Torah portion already this morning, but I want to make sure that some of what happens here is not lost on us. So I'm going to ask you to visualize for a moment what happened at the beginning of the Parsha. Moses is toward the end of his life. And the people, after traveling for 40 years, are about to enter into the land. And they're told that the first thing that they're going to do when they cross into the land is they're going to split in two. Half the people are going to ascend. They are going to climb Har Grizim, and half of the people are going to climb another mountain, Har Eval. So half the community is on top of one mountain, half the community on top of another mountain. The Leviim, the Levites, are going to be in the valley in between these two mountains. And from that place, they are going to call out punishments. And the entire people, whether on Har Grizim or Harival, they're going to respond, Amen. If you become so lost, we'll say the Levites, that you elevate the inconsequential over the essential, you will be cursed. Amen. If you dishonor those who worked to give you life, to support you and care for you when you could not survive on your own, you will suffer, say the Levi'im. Amen. If you take advantage of, if you mistreat your neighbor, if you mistreat the most vulnerable, if you pervert justice, you will suffer. Amen. You know, the idea of karma is that it's individualized, right? What I put out into the world might come back in order to do me harm or to do me good. But in Judaism, this idea is really pluralized. We say al in the plural. We talk about our wrongs because we know that when we behave in a certain way that's toxic or negative, we're putting a kind of negativity into the world, which makes the world a more negative place. Whereas when we bring beauty and love and joy and compassion into the world, the world becomes a little bit more beautiful and a little bit more joyous and a little bit more compassionate. Especially the Torah saying, what we do to harm those who are most vulnerable, there's an impact on the world. The world is harmed. The world becomes more dangerous when we behave with cruelty, even to the individual. And, and I've been thinking about that all week. As I've been reading about the governors who chartered planes and buses, in order to send migrants, many of whom were asylum seekers, came to this country legally in order to make asylum claims, survived harrowing conditions in order to come to America to make their case, fleeing violence and persecution in their homeland. Two planes that landed, as you read, I'm sure, in Martha's Vineyard, with the sole intention of humiliation of those who were on those planes and those who would be stuck dealing with it on the other side. This is a cynical and a disgraceful tactic 
shipping busloads of people unaware into progressive cities like Washington DC and New York City and Chicago that have now received thousands of migrants over the last couple of weeks that are sent unawares from Texas and from Florida. The people on these buses and on these planes have been lied to and they have been deceived. They have been dropped in places that are far from the resources that they desperately need and without any advance warning to agencies that actually could help them on the ground were they given a heads up. They were done, this was done on purpose in order to maximize the impact of the stunt. And it's pretty awful. Listen to this. The immigrants said that they were approached by a woman outside of the shelter. They were lured into boarding the plane saying that they would be flown to Boston where they could get expedited work papers. As they boarded the plane, she was still trying to recruit more passengers even hours before the flight. She offered us help, one said, help that never arrived. These are stories of desperation and humiliation. Cursed is the one who leads a vulnerable person astray. Amen. It is sick. It is cynical. It is reprehensible. And it's not even new. Now making its way around the internet, some of you I'm sure saw a piece about what came to light many years ago and came to be known as the reverse freedom rides. Did you read about this? When white citizens councils in the South chartered buses to send black folks and families up North, they were promised jobs. They were promised housing and security and a chance at a better life. But what it really was, was a publicity stunt. It was an attempt to try to prove that white Northerners were hypocrites and they were actually as racist as those in the South. And yes, in many ways they were. Meanwhile, hundreds of human beings were used as political pawns, sent on buses from Little Rock, Arkansas to Massachusetts in what came to be known as the reverse freedom rides. It was one of the many shameful chapters in a particularly inglorious time in our nation's history. Our Parsha goes on. It goes on after those blessings and after those curses, and we enter what's known as the Tokacha read so expertly today by Rabbi Dr. Devorah Weisberg. The rebuke, the chastisement, so dark and so chilling that there's a tradition that the bar mitzvah himself doesn't read it because it's too terrible for a 13-year-old child to have to stand before a community and read these words. God will let loose against you calamity and panic and frustration in all of the enterprises that you undertake, you will soon be utterly wiped out for your evil doing in forsaking me. We read about fevers and lesions and dust and dirt, boils and hemorrhoids. Did you see that? Wet and dry. We read that the people will be struck with blindness, that they will grope in noon, it says, like a blind man gropes in the darkness. The one you love, will marry another. You will build a house, but you'll never get to live in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but you will never be able to redeem it. Your animals, all of your effort, all for naught. Repeatedly, we're told nobody is going to come to save you. Ain lecha moshia. You're going to go mad from all of the cruelties that you witness and that you see. You will be a source of astonishment around the world, a parable, a conversation piece among all the peoples, wherever Hashem will lead you. Everyone will be talking about how terrible is your lot. 
And then we enter a whole chain of curses that sound like those Yiddish blessings, where it's clear that having something and then losing it is worse than never having it at all. You'll plant seeds in your field, but you won't be able to harvest it because the locusts will consume it first. You'll plant vineyards, but you will never drink because the worm will devour them. You'll have beautiful olive trees, but then watch all of those olives be thrashed into the ground. You'll have children, but they'll be taken away from you into captivity. You'll have beautiful trees consumed by crickets. Strangers will rule over you, and it's all your fault, the Torah says, because you did not listen to God. Destroyed, devoured, collapsed, perished. You'll end up with a trembling heart, with longing eyes and a suffering soul. You will be frightened night and day. You will not believe your own life. You won't trust yourself. In the morning, you'll say, who can give us back the night? And every evening you'll say, who can give us back the morning? That's how awful your every day will be. It's such a vivid image. It's such a vivid image that the Slonimer Rebbe wrote during the, the time of the Shoah, during the Holocaust. He who was able to flee from Europe just in time in order to come to Eretz Yisrael, to pre-state Palestine, in order to try to bring a little bit of the light of Torah of Eastern Europe into that place. And then had to witness from afar as his entire family and community was decimated in real time. He wrote the entire prophecy of the Tokacha has fallen upon us. Understand what this means. This is not some biblical fantasy. This is not some fictional dystopia. This was real life for our people in real time and in living memory. In the morning we asked, he wrote, when will it be night? In the night we asked, when will the morning come? These were days of trepidation and sleeplessness when life seemed absent of purpose. There was no spark of hope or of light. Everything was bleak. Where were we going? What is the point of existence? when all life is being trampled out before our eyes. Recent history, folks, living memory, individual demise and social collapse. As if it's not rough enough to encounter it here on a bar mitzvah day, no less. There are actually two tochachas that appear in our Torah, one here and one at the end of the book of Leviticus. They're both really brutal. They're both really hard to read. So why does our tradition put us through this? Well, there is a difference between these two rebukes. The one that comes in Parshat Bechukotai at the end of Leviticus, that one ends with a, what we call a nechemta. It ends with a, a kind of positive note at the end. After all of that, after all of those curses, so real and so vivid, God says, but don't worry. If you come back to me, I won't reject you. I'll take you back with love and we will rebuild. Whereas here in our Parsha, it seems hard to find the moment of comfort at the end. In fact, it ends with the worst possible condition. You're going to be brought back to Egypt, the place of your greatest pain. And, and, and people are going to try to sell you as slaves, but nobody's even going to want to buy you, right? It is the most dark and dismal kind of destruction imaginable. But in fact, it's not true that there's really no comforting word here. Because as Rabbi Kasher quoted earlier today, there is this pasuk. He said this in, in reference to Griffin. But God did not give you 
a heart to know or eyes to see or ears to hear until this very day. This is David's favorite. This is David's favorite line of Torah. You didn't get it before, but now maybe now you'll get it. Maybe today you will understand what you were not under, able to understand for years or for even generations. Ad hayom hazeh. Maybe today, when you read and see the way human beings are used as pawns, are manipulated to the cruelest ends, maybe today, when you see the way that hatred can fuel movements, maybe today you will understand what you failed to understand when the same tactics were used 50 years ago. Maybe today we'll be able to look at human suffering and see human beings behind those headlines. Look, this story about Martha's Vineyard, it's not the biggest story in the world right now. And there's so much that's going on, even in our country, even in our own Jewish community, that I am so eager to talk about and to unpack with all of you. I want to talk about the story that came out this, this week about the schools in New York, about the, the gross neglect of students in yeshivas, students who were denied basic education, students who failed even the most to meet even the most basic minimum standards for education. I want to talk about what's happening at Yeshiva University this week, folks. If you haven't seen it, we have to talk about where our Jewish community is landing on issues of human dignity, of equity, and of equality. I want to talk about the preposterous proposal, the federal abortion ban at 15 weeks. There's so much that's going on in our country. But I want to be clear that what happened in Texas and Florida, it might seem small in light of all of these other issues of our community and our time, but it's not an aberration. It's not an isolated political stunt. It's not a blip. It is a signal. It's a signal of a cruel and dangerous trend that we have to figure out how to respond to in the days and the years ahead. It's a signal of an effort to use people, the most vulnerable people, as pawns in a toxic political battle. When the story of the reverse freedom riders started to come to mainstream attention again in the last couple of years, it really happened because one historian, a guy named Clive Webb, heard in 2019, when the former president proclaimed in a news conference that he was going to drop undocumented immigrants into so-called sanctuary cities. They want more people in the sanctuary cities. He said, well, let's give them more people. We'll give them a lot. We'll give them an unlimited supply. They always say that they have open arms. Let's see if they really welcome these people with open arms. And when he heard that, this historian heard echoes of the same thinking and actions from 1962. But there was a difference now. The difference is that back then, it was the actions of the White Citizens Council, a fringe but powerful political group. Today, these are actions of the federal government. These are actions of powerful state governors. This is not a blip. This is the reflection of a culture shift that we're all feeling, that we know and feel to be a challenge to our values and a danger to our society. And the question for all of us is how will we respond? For all of us during this holy month of Elul, leading up to our most sacred and precious time of year, I wonder what would happen if suddenly we could see 
what we have spent years trying to ignore, if we could hear what we have been working so hard to avoid, perhaps then we collectively could make a difference. The message of the text is clear. The choice is ours. Where will we land? I always quote Jonathan Safran Foer, who says that no amount of noise can awaken someone who's fake sleeping. Every moment can be a moment that awakens us from our fake slumber. The whole message of this season is, let this moment be that moment. Amar kol ha'am, amen. Shabbat shalom. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission, to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.